Welcome to the Sports Memory Podcast. This is Derek Black. Marcus Anthony. This is Newman. So we're going to do a little bit, uh, we're going to do some recap of, of the last uh, round of the playoffs. Not going to get into the Super Bowl, obviously, uh, with the two-week break here. It gives us the opportunity to really go hard into it and make predictions and everything next week. Um, usually my customary position on, on the Super Bowl, trying to guess who's going to win, is to come really hard on one team and then generally during the course of, of the two-week period, uh, usually end up switching to the other team. Just when you think more about the matchup and, and how things are, are matching up. Well, most of the time it's your boys that are playing, so you know you always get a little <laughs> skeptical when. Uh, it's true. When this, is, uh, this, this is weird territory. Just being a, a, a neutral observer. <laughs> <laughs> weird, ter- weird territory for the uh, for the people playing in this game for the most part too. Yeah, some new some new guys. Um, again, we we'll try not to get too much into this, but there's a lot of things that are, are super interesting um, about how this is going to match up as far as new coaches, new players, people who haven't been there yet on the biggest stage. And it's one of those situations where uh, are the, you know, are the young guys too dumb to know how big of a stage it is? Do they just go with it? Cause it's just like any other game. And it's not like they're playing a team who has tons of experience. I, th- I mean, obviously everyone's going to be hyped up and I, I think getting too hype is the issue that you're going to run into uh, getting, making the moment too big. Um, I'm really excited to see how Patrick Mahomes responds. Every time they get down in the playoffs so far, man, he's got ice in his veins. He's just smiling. Um, and I'm really anxious to see what Jimmy G is going to do. Um, you know, I was trying to look up some numbers, but he, he's got to be damn on pace to have the uh, lowest amount of passing yards by anyone going through the playoffs. Uh, right around 200 total through two games. Yeah, I see a lot of people talking about, oh, well, that's going to be their weakness. He can't win in a shootout. Um, people seem to forget that game he had against New Orleans where he put up 48 and, and kind of outdueled Breeze for most of that game. I think he's okay. Um, in the playoffs, in that situation they are, they're super deep at the running back position. Why throw the ball if you don't need to? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Trent Dover <laughs> learned that a uh, long time ago with the, with the Ravens. You know? Exactly. If, if you can beat them with a good defense and run the rock, you know, why force something for numbers? So which one of those games uh, on Sunday surprised you the most? Uh, honestly, I, I think probably the San Fran game, just because of the fact that they didn't need to throw the ball um, when they finished the game. They it was really coming down to the last minute to see if they were going to have more points or rushing yards, mm-hmm. which to me is just insane to think the last two teams in the NFC and it was just that one sided. Right. Yeah. So for me, I really expected San Francisco's defensive line to dominate yep. Green Bay's offensive line, which held true. But I was surprised at the fact that San Francisco's offensive line absolutely dominated the Green Bay defense. Yeah. Green Bay's defense had played pretty well throughout the course of earlier in the season. Sure. Uh, even after week one, Rodgers said... And their front uh, seven's supposed to be their strength. Rodgers said after after the opening night, he's like, oh, we got a defense now with that big smug grin on his face thinking that you know that was what they've been lacking. Right. So <clears throat> with them actually having you know what looked like a defense throughout the course of this season to just get completely annihilated by, by the offensive front of... San Francisco was a little bit surprising. Now, San Francisco was one of the best rushing teams in the NFL this year. The way that Shanahan is able to maneuver and create rushing plays and the the like the the creative things that he does in the run game sure. is really it, it's kind of a, a next level. Uh, and Roger, uh, Aaron Rodgers just really didn't look good, but his, but his mannerisms were, were what really kind of got me confused he, he really didn't look like he cared um he he didn't show really much emotion uh he struggled but he you know 
I, I think there's a lot of questions being called into like his leadership or lack thereof. Um, but yeah, without a doubt, that that was surprising. The Kansas City game pretty much turned out the exact way I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, in, and their their front seven is still being highly overlooked. Um, you know, everyone remembers uh, you know Henry against them early on in the year, but uh, everyone forgets the last like I said four or five weeks they've been they've been stout. Um, and I and I think that's going to make for a, one hell of a Super Bowl. Yeah. So one of the more impressive things that I noticed was Steve Spagnolo really makes adjustments in terms of um, fixing that defense. Tennessee had a good start to it, but Spagnolo definitely like tinkered with it and was like, all right, we're going to figure out a way to shut them down and force Tannehill to beat us, which he just wasn't able to do. So for me, uh, Kansas City's offense is just really tough to beat and nobody's going to stop them. Even San Francisco, they're going to have a good, we're going to have some interesting matchups there. But um, this game, this this game should be pretty interesting and fun to watch. Yeah. And again, we'll get more into that over the next, uh, the next podcast. We're probably going to, I would imagine, spend probably close to a half hour just talking about the different matchups. We'll go into a lot of detail. Um, and we'll give you plenty of gambling picks for all your prop bets too. Exactly. Yeah, we uh, we know both teams are going to come out swinging. And uh, speaking of coming out swinging, how about uh, how about Kansas? That was um, you don't see that very often. Usually, you know, basketball fights, especially in the NBA, we see a lot of you know pushing and shoving, and it usually just comes down to like guys looking over their shoulder, looking for somebody to hold them back. Uh, Kansas was was not doing that. <laughs> yeah, so what happened on the play was it's it's the end of the game. Kansas State steals the ball. The guy goes in to try to dunk it or lay it up or whatever, and a Kansas player literally comes over, completely rejects the ball, and then stands over him because he was pissed that they had stolen the ball and were trying to score when they were just trying to run out the clock. Um, the rest of the, the lines, uh, the team, were they were in like – handshake lines about to just you know be done with it and all of a sudden this mess and chaos breaks out and then a dude who's not dressed in uniform starts throwing punches and pushing people around and the guy who actually rejected the ball picks up a chair fortunately one of his coaches or somebody got to him and got him to put the chair down but it got really intense it was way better than the mcgregor fight for sure yeah (laughs) definitely so so uh the main kind of perpetrator there the guy you see you know with the chair uh, the main one in the beginning of the fight that really uh, seemed like he kind of sparked the whole thing. Uh, so Sylvia D'Souza, mm-hmm. he's been suspended indefinitely. Right. Um, I would not be shocked if they just said, hey, that's the end of your year. Um, th- that was a pretty egregious event. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it is the end of his year. I don't know that they're going to completely go that hard. It's probably the end of his regular season yeah. at, at the bare minimum. Um, maybe he they will allow him to come back for conference tournament or... Uh, NCAA tournament if they get that far, yeah. but I would not be surprised if that's the end of his season. Yeah, so Bill Self gets 12 <laughs> games, and then two uh, other teammates, David McCormick, um, and actually Kansas State player James Love as well, uh, receive suspensions. Uh, so two games for, for the rest of the, the Kansas players. Uh, James Love gets eight games from Kansas State, and Antonio Gordon gets three games from Kansas State. Obviously, Kansas State's not going to be somebody where this has long-term implications necessarily. Um, they're not you know on the same stage obviously as Kansas being ranked third. The interesting thing is is they're gonna not have self and they're not gonna have uh, D'Souza when they play number eighteen Texas Tech. That's kind of the the first big challenge on their on their schedule. What do you think the long term implications could be to them if if they lose a couple games on the stretch here? So at the end of the day, they're still gonna make the conference tournament, and if the conference tournament you win, you're in. Um, now to be said the 
the Big 12 is actually one of the better conferences this year. Sure. Baylor looks really good. I think they're number one or number two currently at the time. So um, winning the Big 12 tournament is not going to be just the easiest thing for them to do. Right. Kansas has a history of winning the Big 12. I think this past year was the first that they didn't in like 15 years or something. So um, Bill Self, you know, take some time and do some studying and maybe figure it out what you're going to do. But this could absolutely impact them in terms of getting into the tourney for sure. Yeah. And that's, that's really just over what? You're mad because a guy scored in a, in, a, in a game that was over. Yeah, just, yeah so um, it really escalated when the benches, you know, came over. He stood sure. over top of them. It happens all the time. People stand over top of people with after a big dunk or whatever, and it's taunting. And, you know, usually it's, oh, you know, a little push here or there. You kind of get in the other guy's face. But the rest of the teams came in hot, Yeah, and that really escalated it. For sure. Could you imagine him being uh, in an interview with some uh, NBA GMs, and they're they, they're asking him questions about you know character, um, you know life attributes, and then they ask him, "What were you trying to hit that guy with? What, what did you lift up over your head?" Right. Uh, you're like, it's it's not smart, obviously, in the meantime, but things like that can you know impact possible draft status going forward. Sure. Um, Terrible move, pal. Terrible move. Yeah. Yeah, but at the end of the day, th- these are these are kids. You know, they're they're pretty young. Yeah. Um, it was an emotional uh, event. It's kind of a one time occurrence, and I don't necessarily know that it's going to be held against him for the rest of his life. But no, it's certainly yeah. going to impact him for the rest of this season. Yeah, this season, and then beyond that, people probably just move on. I mean, the long off season between the end of the basketball, the college basketball season, and when it begins again. So I, I think that's one of those things. And, and if he moves on to the draft. It almost becomes a non-factor, right? Do you uh, do you change your last name to Meta World Peace after after that play <laughs> to to show that you're changing? Uh, it works for for Ron, so maybe maybe that's something you do. <clears throat> uh, so we'll move now. Um, obviously, with with the, the kind of the reason we're not going to be talking about the NFL uh, in in the Super Bowl too much is because we have to endure uh, Pro Bowl week first. Um, I say endure because I think it's a miserable waste of time. Um, nobody wants to play in it. Even team players who whose team has been eliminated try to avoid it for all those off season, you know, surgeries and, and procedures and things that they've been putting off. And if they were playing in the Super Bowl, obviously would be playing through. Nobody takes it seriously. Um, how do you guys feel about the the Pro Bowl? Um, I mean, I I enjoy it. Uh, they are trying to keep it somewhat exciting. Um, I do think it needs to go back to Hawaii. Um, it's really a, more of a reward for yeah. them. You know, obviously you want, you know, ratings and everything. You're not, you're not rewarding anybody to send them to Orlando. No one wants to go to Orlando to celebrate <laughs> that. Go to Hawaii. Go surf. Um, um, but, you know, it's it's fun. Um, ho- hopefully we can get a uh, another Sean Taylor hit. That, I'll never forget that for as long as I live. For me, I want to I draw a definitive line. I like the skills competition. I like the interaction with the players. I like uh, the the fans having access to to the players and and kind of in a an environment where they're in short and t shirts and you know floppy hats and they they're not in uniform. You can make a more personal connection. I think that's the one place that the NFL struggles the most is it's not like baseball. It's not like uh, the NBA. Most of the time that these guys are on the field and people are watching them, their faces are covered. So I, I think it does a lot from a fan standpoint. Gives them a chance to interact. Uh, Hawaii would be great. Love the skills competition part of it. The game is, to me, is a waste of time. Yeah, the game's pretty awful. Um, I agree. I think they should send it back to Hawaii. Um, in terms of the more interesting aspect of what I think's going on this weekend, so the NHL All-Star Game is also occurring. So I just want to know, wh- what do you think is the best and rank the All-Star 
you know, festivities for, for all for all of the teams. So give me Pro Bowl, mm-hmm. Pro Bowl weekend sure. and all the stuff, skills competition versus skills competitions for basketball, the dunk contest, three-point contest, the NBA All-Star game. R- put them all together for each individual sport and rank them uh, which is the best and which is the worst and why. Uh, I think I'll lead off on this one. Um, you know, if we're going, obviously we're going top three here. Um, I love hockey. Um, hockey's fun. Um, you know, it's a lot more high scoring. Um, but you know, they used to run those, uh, you know, the, the trails on the, like the slap shot contest, yeah. uh, you know, the skating contest, you know, there's just a lot of fun events like that. Um, while I, while I don't follow basketball as closely, I do enjoy the, you know, the three point competition. Some of the dunk contests are so much fun. Um, and you know, you know, past the skills competition, like uh, I agree with, uh, with Derek there, the, uh, the game is just really unbearable almost. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I like the basketball. Uh, the dunk contest is garbage now. The guys who you want to see dunk don't participate. The three-point shooting contest has always been a favorite of mine. I think that's a really fun thing. You know, the money ball. You get all the different guys out there who can just shoot, and it's exciting. The game itself, they don't play defense, but they don't really play defense in the regular <laughs> season anyways. So it's not like it's it's weird, They different. do take it to another level of not playing defense, though. I, I, I know it's a, you would never, ever, ever <laughs> be able to do it in football just because of the physicality, but I do think that the NBA, baseball, and, and hockey all get an advantage of having their all-star break in the middle of the season mm-hmm. when fans are still engaged or still into it. For, for the NFL, it's like, okay, this bullshit is between me and the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. Get this over with. I want to. I want to go to the Super Bowl. Um, I, but I like the skills competition. I love what the what the NHL has done with theirs. Really have a full day devoted to skills competition. Uh, to having a little more fun environment. They have like live music playing during it, bands and stuff. And then they just turn the game into to another skills competition. The three on three tournament. Uh, kind of that overtime format, three on three, and have it be a divisional tournament. So you get to see you know root for guys in your division that you normally root against. Uh, you get to see a little more competition. They put some money on the line, and it's three on three, so it's fast, it's fun, it's exciting. It's not, you know, we're going to play what could look like the regular game, but just make it a boring version of it. Yeah, so for me, the the, the game that is, the all-star game that is most like what is actually going on on the field for a normal game is baseball, right? Yeah, the players good. are the same. You still get the same interactions, a pitcher to, I love a, the home run derby. To, to, to a player. And I think the home run derby is the thing that makes baseball maybe the top out of these because one you get a, a realistic game experience and then two the the pre-event the the the, the home run derby is probably the best event in maybe sports in La- terms last of year was the best for, one I've, for, I've for ever the fun watched. yeah it, it, it's it's great um, and they all, do they do a great job of getting the guys I want to see absolutely like, like, you know, yeah and even the even the guys like going in you're like oh Jock Peterson whatever and then he puts on a show absolutely yeah. the, those guys straight mash and they get you know their dads pitching to them or their good stories or their brother or something like that that, that are always really fun to me Who, the, whose the, pitcher was it Olsen Some, oh, somebody's like his, his own dad was striking him out or was something. like throwing yeah. like fucking sliders at him I'm like come <laughs> on <laughs> like it's a home run derby like, right. it was like Chapman or somebody like, it was ridiculous I'm just like what are you yeah Matt Chapman what are you dad, doing maybe? right now um, yeah <laughs> But, yeah, so for me, baseball is the number one. I think hockey's a close second. I really love what they've done, especially what you talked yeah. about, where they break it up and they make it a divisional thing, putting some money on the line, plus the skills competition. Um, basketball used to be one of my favorites, but like you said, with the 
the dunk contest just becoming this charade. And but nobody wants to do nobody, it. Like, no LeBron ever participated. Right. LeBron, LeBron never participated. Yep. What makes Jordan better than LeBron? Maybe just that he participated <laughs> in the dunk contest? No, I'm not going to go there quite yet. That's but, something I can get behind. <clears throat> but yeah, like, LeBron, give us one, you know? He didn't give us any ever. And that's so, the point. Like, even if he gives us one, he's, he's so far past his prime. Like, right. I don't even care anymore. Right. So, so the dunk contest is kind of, uh, you know gone to shit and so has the game the game's always been shit and then football you know that it it's so bad it's such a bad product um they probably should just do away with it and the another thing about like and i don't want to drill in and hate on, on the basketball all-star game so much but now that i, I kind of sat here and thought about it basketball in of itself when you're not guarding guys is not a difficult game you're talking about guys who are seven feet tall putting the ball in a 10-foot basket and it's a lot of dunking in the All Star Game and uncontested dunking. Like it's not yeah, even you get hard. more of a dunk contest in the in the basketball right. game than you do during an actual yeah. dunk contest. It, it's, it's not. It's like okay, guys. Like I get it. You're massive human, like freak athletes, and you're doing something that you should be able to do, and nobody's stopping you. Like the defense is the biggest element in that game, and yeah. it's just not there. So who do you like this week for the NHL All Star Tournament? <laughs> NHL All Star Tournament. Um, there's so much talent as far as high-end scoring talent, especially because nobody's playing defense in the, um, not the, it's the, I'm going to mess this up, Western, it is the Central. So you have uh, McKinnon, you have Sagan, you have Jamie Benn's probably going to end up there somehow. Um, some of the bottom-end teams, Minnesota doesn't necessarily have anybody that's, you know, highly skilled, going to put on a show. But you got Patty Kane, you got, you know, the St. Louis's loaded roster. They're always fun. They're always a, a good team. Um, the Pacific's always good just because... Connor McDavid? Connor McDavid is just, is not even human. Yeah. Uh, and you get him in three and three, and that's in that environment, and it's just, what's, what's the point? Um, the Atlantic is obviously loaded with that rat Marchand. And you got Tampa and, and even Toronto in a down year. Uh, you get Dylan Larkin from Detroit. Like, there, there's still some, some high-end talent. Austin Matthews. So, I, I went – I guess we're just going to name them all. Obviously, the Metro has some, some – uh, that guy, Alexander Ovechkin, is pretty good at the hockey. Is he? Yeah. Haven't heard got, of him. And they got uh, Sidney Crosby, obviously, Malkin. Like, there's there's some some stars there, too. Okay, so who's your pick? My pick a pick, winner. Gun to my head, my pick. Let's go Pacific. Okay. Mark? Don't call me Mark. Marcus. <laughs> um, Marky Mark. Talent-wise, in a healthy year, uh, Metro is always, you know, a place that can compete. But a lot of the a lot of those players won't be competing this year. Yeah. Uh, which we'll dive into shortly. Um, um, give me the Atlantic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna head and take the Metro just because they're the the team left standing that I actually like in this. Um, but let's let's get into some NHL coverage. So we're at the NHL All Star Game. Uh, we're way past halfway season yep. point, uh, which is you know a lot of sports do this where the the games actually played after the halfway point. Mm-hmm. But uh, w- you know if the playoffs were to start today, who would be in? Well, so uh, you want to start? I'll start this one off. Uh, I think Atlantic is as far as who's going to win that division is pretty sealed up. I don't think Toronto. There's just so many issues. Defensively, they're not a good team. Uh, Buffalo, I don't think has the gas to make it. You know, the bottom dwellers of that of that division are are terrible. I think Florida, Tampa, and Boston are, are pretty much a lock as far as how that order shapes up. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure. You, Tampa's made a big push lately. Uh, Florida's always pesky, and they can be right in it. Obviously, they have good goaltending now. 
but I think it's going to be those three, and then I think the the rest of the the East is all going to come out of the Metro. Um, I, I like the Capitals, Penguins, and Islanders a hold spot as far as being in the top of that uh, that bracket, making it through the divisional part, and then both of your um, wild cards come out in Carolina and Columbus. I think everything locks up pretty much in order. I don't I don't see anything crazy happening. Philly could go on a run, uh, but besides that, New York, New Jersey, completely terrible. They're both out of it. Uh, Detroit should be demoted to the AHL, hmm. and then Ottawa and Montreal are, are both pretty bad as well. So I think there's there's not much wiggle room in, in, in that side of things, that side of the bracket. Uh, Top of the Western Conference, the Blues are going to be right back in it. They're you know defending champions, really good team. Avalanche are great. This is where it, it kind of shakes up for me. I don't know. I, I think I'd like Dallas uh, to, to fall out of that position. I think Winnipeg's loaded. They're underperforming so far. It's a really deep team, top to bottom, and that's a playoff team. That's a scary team if they make it. Uh, Chicago, you can never rule them out. Tons of leadership. Patrick Kane is, is amazing. Highest scoring player of the decade. Uh, and then you get into the Pacific, and I think things really lock up the way they are there, too. Uh, interesting enough, a four-way tie at 57 points. Two Teams two through five are tied um, all the way through Edmonton, Calgary, Arizona, who's a little bit of a surpriser. And then the Knights are a surprising team in the in the other direction. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into coaches that were fired, um, underperforming to this point, but still hanging on there. So uh, to have all the the top five teams in that in that division separated by a single point is is pretty incredible. Um, I like Edmonton. I like Calgary. I think Arizona sneaks in, whether it be wild card or not. Uh, and I wouldn't count count out San Jose to to make a deep run here and and try to get into one of those those final spots. <clears throat> See, um, you know, back in the East, I'm just going to make this, you know, a lot quicker because I'm pretty on par with you. I yeah. think, you know, watching these teams and following them, because obviously I do like to bet hockey, uh, I think Carolina is the one that slips out of that spot. Uh, Philly is playing good, sound hockey at home. Uh, I think they move up. I think Carolina drops down and they move out. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty equal all the way there. Um, the West is beyond interesting. Um Dallas is definitely going to hold that spot. They're playing sound hockey, balanced hockey. Um, I think my surprise on from the Pacific side, I think Edmonton, even though they're in prime position now, I think they're the team that slumps down. Um, not on the Connor McDavid MVP season, carry the team to the playoffs kind of thing. No, it, it, if anybody it, can, but it, it's not, it's not about him and his yeah. performance. It's just them as a team. Mm. Um, and so I think the teams that are in as of now, I think them and uh, Calgary, I think Calgary falls out too. Um, Vegas has enough talent and enough experience to make a you know a final push. I think Vegas gets in, um, and both Edmonton and Calgary fall down um, with you know just as you'd mentioned, and it's it's going to be close between Winnipeg and the Blackhawks. Um, Blackhawks are talented. One of those two teams will be. Uh, number four, so you're going to be a, see a four-four split. So interesting thing about about Calgary too, and, and the reason why I think you you could be onto something there as far as them being out. The only team in a playoff position today with a negative goal differential, they're a negative twelve. Uh, the next worst team as far as goal differential is a team that they are tied with, Edmonton at fifty-seven points, who's a plus two. So pretty big difference there, fourteen goals as far as goal differential. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the league leaders being Colorado, Tampa, and Boston. Uh, all the you know, tops of the tops of their divisions, but w- if you can't keep the puck out of your own net, 
even if they make the playoffs, what are they going to do in the playoffs? They're probably going to be an early exit. Well, well, this is something they could still address, right? There's still time to go out there and get a goalie if that's if that's what they need to do. Yeah, I mean, hockey has um, one of the more meaningful trade deadlines as right. far as who, you know teams actually improving themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, and we've already seen some big trades: Taylor Hall to Calgary uh, or to um, to Arizona. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that actually is maybe what pushes Arizona into the playoffs I in, think that, so too. in that stretch. Um, so I really uh, really think that was a good move on their part. Um, in terms of the East, I I think it's kind. I don't think I don't think there's any surprises coming to us. No, um, I think the East is pretty locked up. Last year, St. Louis was in last place mm-hmm. going into All Star Weekend. Yep, and they came out on the other side and ran away and won the Cup after making a head coaching change. And this year, they're just powering through. But is there a team out there that maybe they don't have to be in last place, but that's kind of you know not like a sleeper team that that could really make it, or are we pretty much dealing with the contenders as is? Um, so you look at a team, I think 11 points out is where they're at right now, and I think that's enough to say that they're a sleeper. Um, a negative 37 goal differential, one of the worst in the league, but still a loaded roster if they can get healthy make a run here. I think San Jose has a chance in, in a pretty weak division as far as um, the amount of parity. Everybody's on the same level. Again, four teams tied at 57 points, and the division leader is one point ahead of that. Uh, they're, they're, they are on par or, or one game, more games played than, than those guys. So I think that could be a team if they sure up their back end, uh, you know, get pucks deep. We'll throw in a bunch of, of cliches here. They could be a team that, that makes a run. Um, for me, I'm going to stay in the West as well. Um, it's Nashville. Um, you know, they play the least amount of games, not by, you know, a ton, a big margin, but, uh, you know, PK Ryan, although he's had his struggles this year, um, you know, he's shown the ability to sh- completely shut it down, uh, which can help, you know, propel them and you know get a nice boost going forward yeah so i I don't think i don't think there's a there's a team that's going to come out of here that's that surprising for us Uh, i think for the most part we we see the contenders and and it's going to stay where it is um is there a team that's going to pull a columbus blue jackets and push all in and trade all but one or two of their draft picks to go get the cup though uh i mean there's definitely some teams that could do it you know carolina's in a position where they could always do it they have some assets on hand um looking at the other guys who aren't there from either a cap standpoint. Obviously, Tampa and Boston don't have the cap space. Florida doesn't have much cap space because they, they paid Bob a, t- a ton of money. How bad is that looking right now? Uh, we'll see. They're in playoff position. I yeah, mean, but but he hasn't. He's, he's not played well, sure. and, and, and he hasn't played all that much lately. Yeah. They just lost their backup keeper, um, so they're going to be down to a third-string keeper. That might be a team that needs to make a move for a goalie if they can find one cheap. To try to you know stabilize that position a little bit, otherwise they're at risk of falling out. The problem with that is though, there's not a lot out there. Um, you look at some of the guys who aren't contenders, what they have from from backup goalies. Uh, I mean, New Jersey, like Louis Domingue, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's just there's not a lot out there on the the backup goalie market right now, or the the potential starting goalie market, as far as what they could acquire. Um, teams that are kind of in a fringe. Chicago depends how much they want to win. They don't have a lot of assets left, but they also don't have much of a window left. Maybe they're a team that pushes all in, tries to to capitalize on that last little bit of this window. Um, their stars are aging fast, and and Duncan Keith's about done. Uh, Seabrook is, I think he's gone. I don't think he's there, and if he is there, he might as well be gone. Uh, Taze is, is getting a little up there in years. Patty Kane, same way. Maybe that's a team that pushes all in. Um, but I think if you're going to circle one, just my educated or not educated guess here. I would say either Dallas tries to stop the, the slide and, and get in. It's, it's going to be somebody on the fringe. I think your top guys are, are going to stay pat. How about Toronto? 
So, you know, they, they got... Um, <clears throat> Dubas is smart. I like Dubas a lot. He's the only thing going on in Toronto that I think is good. Yeah. Uh, I think their media sucks. Their fans put way too much pressure on, on players. They're, I mean, they're actively... They're still a small fringe of, of their fan base trying to run Austin Matthews out of Toronto, which makes zero sense to me. Uh, they, they got through the whole Babcock thing. They really you know, kind of brought the team together. They played a little bit better on a two-game losing streak now, 4-3-3 three, and three in their last 10. Um, so not necessarily trending the right way. Maybe they're a team that throws some assets down, so hey, let's go for it. But they would have to buy – their weakness is defensemen. They don't need anything up front. They need defense, and defense does not come cheap. So um, I want to segment this into uh, into our coaches that we're going to run up to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the time you hear chatter, trade talks uh, at the deadline. Uh, most of them don't make sense. Um, I read up on one that really um, got me very interested um, between the Pens and the Kings. So one of the discussions was to move Matt Murray to the Kings, uh, pick up some young talent, um, um, uh, a younger defenseman, uh, we'll take Jonathan Quick, um, and the Kings will eat some of our cap. Now, that solves a lot of issues for the Pens. Uh, they do need depth. Um, obviously, Quick is you know past his prime, but save money for they're, they're paying a lot for Matt Murray, who just he's been a head case, um, and he's incredibly inconsistent. Yeah, maybe change of scenery helps yeah, him out there. Yeah, in, in both sides. So, um, what what do you move to LA in that situation? Oh, Matt what, Murray. Matt Murray. Yo, you move Murray? Yeah, we move Murray. We take quick and uh, young prospects, and they eat. I think. Uh, I think the thing number is like two million in cap. Is that a, is that like a insider like rumor thing? It's. Uh, it came up through, um, um, one of the sites. Um, talking with. Uh, but was it a suggestion or a report? No, it, it was, it's a report. That, okay. that, that that's one of the rumor. T- uh, Man, one of the talks, and and it. It made so much so much sense to me. If you're if you're Pittsburgh, I feel like you pull that trigger so fast. You you have to. Um, you know they they're playing fantastic, and you know obviously we're at the halfway point. But for me, Mike Sullivan's got to be a, a the front runner for head coach of the year. You know they're not in first place, but when you're talking about Crosby's missed over half the season, Malkin missed half the season, uh, Rust missed a quarter of the season, Latang missed quarter of the season. You know all all their prime time players. And, and look where they're at, man. They're just winning games, and they're playing sound defense, which is really where you you make or break it. Um, and um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited about Penguins hockey. Um, but there's a lot of other coaches in the league right now that um, aren't as excited as I am. Um, yeah, so yeah. I think that, I mean, again, if that's, an, if that's an opportunity to make a trade, absolutely. Sullivan it has to be a shortlist candidate for play, for coach of the year. Um, the NHL has a really well-established, consistent track record of making coach of the year, in, in air quotes there, uh, the coach that either came, overcame the most adversity, was in the you know, uh, most unexpected team performance, not necessarily, oh, man, this coach had, did a great job or this team performed well or, you know, was the president cup winner. Like those things don't typically matter. So I, I think Sullivan's in a good spot for that. Uh, unless one of these coaches with, you know, that, that was replaced mid season can go on a tear and, and uh, charge up the, the standings here. Obviously much, no, much like Sullivan did when he got the job, exactly. right? He got the job mid season and took the pens that's all the way to the, the cup. That's usually the formula for, for coach of the year in the NHL. Absolutely. But he's doing a great job. I mean, they've overcome a lot of adversity. Uh, they, they, 
are always getting really good performance of the guys on, on entry-level contracts, which is important when you're paying Crosby and Malkin the amount of money they are. Mm-hmm. you got to get that production. Not every team gets it for as far as deep depth production. Um, so that's that's good, too. And that, I think that points to good coaching. It's getting the right line combinations together. It's getting the guys in a position where they can, even though they're you know relatively new to the NHL, make an impact. And, and developing the prospects down on the farm and sure. at, the, at the lower levels. Yeah, organization-wise, really they, they've done um, really well to do that. And I think if you look at some of the teams that are consistently good, at least maybe not competing for, for championships, but competing to be in the playoffs, the Lightning are definitely one of those teams that develops players really well. Yep. The Bruins do it. They, they, they draft yep. and develop really well. And and and, Washington. The Pen- and the Penguins and Washington, yep. So so you see a you know a pattern of how the how the organization really runs. You have to yeah. um, in these instances, and they've kind of figured it out. This is how you are good at you know hockey. Yeah, consistently. So we'll start going through some of these coaches. Uh, kind of, you know our take where we think the team's going. Um, obviously, there's there's kind of a, a spectrum of reasons why coaches were let go this year. Uh, you see a lot of of crackdown. Around comments that people made about around some behaviors and, and treating players uh, a certain way. Yeah, so nearly a quarter of the league has already had their re- had to replace a coach, which yep. is you know it happens in hockey. Co- coaches get replaced, but seven I think is a lot for one single season, and we're a little over halfway. So so Gallant's out in in Vegas. Uh, obviously, he was their their only their their first head coach. Took him to a. Final, his right first out of that. year. Yep. So he's in a situation, you know, they move on. Uh, he, I don't think he, he still hasn't landed anywhere. Where, what do you guys think about, and somebody brought this up in, the other day, and I've been kind of locked in on it. This is my opinion, period. Like, I'm, I'm pretty s- solid on this. I think not only he should do it, but also the team in question should do whatever it takes financially. I think he'd be a great fit for Seattle. Uh, expansion franchise, do it all over again. Obviously, he did it right the first time. They're going to be joining the NHL in the next season. Why not do it again? It's worked once. Let's let's just do it again. Plug him in, pay him whatever you need to pay him to, to get him to do it. And really, he's got who else in all of the NHL is in a good enough of a position from an experience standpoint to say, yeah, we'll start this expansion franchise from nothing. That's definitely an interesting thought process, um, and it could be an interesting fit. I think the important thing to remember there is the, the um, Vegas specifically said we're going to try to be competitive right away. We right. had they had they're in a very advantageous situation in terms of who teams were allowed to protect yep. and who was going to be available to them, and they played their cards right to get some really good players, yeah, um, underrated players. So if Seattle's GM takes the same kind of uh, approach then that would really be a good fit for Seattle. Yeah. But if their GM does not take that approach, that could turn bad real quick. I'm curious to see, too, with this expansion, some of the strategy uh, that, that GMs take now that they've they've had an expansion recently uh, under their belt and, and seeing how certain things were um, exploited by by the, the Knights. And as far as acquiring a lot of draft picks... And, and draft capital to take specific players off teams. I know Tampa was one of the guys, uh, one of the teams guilty of that. Mm-hmm. They gave up the rights to Nikita Gusev in exchange for forcing them to take Garrison. Mm-hmm. Um, is that worth it? Do you, do you just hold on to draft capital and say, hey, take who you're going to take? And and also, teams are, frankly, just from that process, they're a little more watered down. There's 31 teams in the league now versus 30. Talent's a little more watered down. Uh, and I also think there's going to be an overcorrection or... Uh, there, there's going to be people who take a different approach to this process. And I, I don't think that Seattle is going to end up with as, as quality as a roster as as the, the Knights did. 
Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you on that part. Um, especially, you know, there are certain teams that have played their hands more in order to prepare for this, yeah. which they hadn't done as much or they didn't have as much foresight in terms of what they're going to be able to expect. But they came out right away and they said as soon as Seattle was going to be awarded a franchise, the rules were going to be the same. Yep. So they knew exactly what they had to prepare for and how to prepare for it. Exactly. I think you helped them not watering it down by not allowing them to take anyone from Detroit. That, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know but I'm looking over here at the conferences. Um, so just by sheer numbers, Seattle has to go into the Central Conference, or Division, rather. Um, but did you have to move over someone from the Pacific? Because obviously the Pacific makes more sense from, from Seattle. Um, but you got, yeah, they got, you got 888 and 7. So I think I'm gonna look this up real quick because I do think they are realigning. Um, yeah, it has to be. A realignment. Yeah, because you don't you don't want a team in the central that's literally the furthest east, the furthest west team there is. Um, so that, that's something that I definitely want to look into and, and figure out. But I, you're right, there's no way that can be what they're they're proposing. But then again, it's the NHL, and you never know. I was just looking. Phoenix um, is about the non uh, non Pacific style team that could move over. Uh, and allow allow Seattle in there. Yeah. Um, so let's let's touch on some some other coaches real quick while while we look that up. Uh, Peter DeBear is out for San Jose. Um, San Jose is one of those teams that you know you had potentially as uh, you know if they can figure out their stuff they could be the dark horse candidate. Um, so just some quick thoughts on that. I, th- I, th- I think that's just more of those. It's just just time to part ways. You know they they had some good runs obviously. Um, Obviously, they took a nice whooping from the Pens. Um, but, you know, their players are getting older. Um, you know, with a couple of them, you know, Burnsy's his beard's magnificent, but, you know, he's just not the same player he used to be. Um, you know, as you start changing out the teams, if you're just not performing, you know, it's time to move the coach. Yeah, uh, they were good for a really long time. But, you know, at, as will happen, uh, Father Time is undefeated. And I think that's really what what's happening there for uh, – for San Jose, yeah, um, Bill- there is always going to be pressure when you take on, yeah, you, when you spend the cap, the draft capital, and, and the the talent and capital to go out and get Eric Carlson. Mm-hmm. If you don't win, there it's a really short leash, um, right? When you give, you know, when you're given those kind of assets, you have to do something with it, and it, it might have been bad timing with some of the other players and the other role players, and there might not be enough, you know, divisional or team depth there. But again, if you don't perform, somebody else is going to get the opportunity. So Bill Peters is out in Calgary after uh, some allegations of racism and punching players when he was, you know, with Carolina, et cetera. Um, Everyone, no one really wants that in their game. So uh, as as a hot button topic, uh, that's not going to be allowed in the NHL or any other professional sport at this level anymore. Yep. Um, and so Peters is out because of that, but Calgary does not look like they've dr- suffered dramatically because of it. They are minus two, uh, goal differential, but they're right there in the thick of it. With, 12. Uh, 57 points. Oh, I'm sorry. Minus 12. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, th- that's a team that could go either way. Uh, is the new coach going to inspire them? Is the team going to push, make, uh, in terms of organizationally to try to go get some good players or what? But yeah, regardless, Bill Peters, you're no longer going to be around. <laughs> Uh, Jim Montgomery in Dallas. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's a team that I just feel like underperforms consistently, and I felt like that's kind of why they did that. What were your thoughts? So that's an, that's another team that I think is, is similar to San Jose, where they have a lot of of bright spots and, and high points as far as talent. 
Um, but they don't necessarily have a lot of supporting cast to tie together. You have your, your Segans, you have your Hiskanens, you have those kind of guys who are high end top, top end talent. Um, but as far as depth, it's just, it's the modern NHL. You got to run four lines that can score at least somewhat. Now, not a lot of guys are getting away with, you know, the, the bottom. Nobody has two lines. I can't, uh, besides again, Detroit, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, you're gonna have some heavier lines and, and they play a heavy game anyways. They just don't have the scoring depth, and and it's just modern NHL. If you don't have the scoring depth, you're not going to be able to, to to stay in there. Right now, they're in a, a playoff spot, but I think they're really vulnerable um, as far as if Winnipeg gets hot here, if Chicago gets hot here. Uh, I mean, Winnipeg is only out of it because they're on a on kind of a slide here. So one of the more surprising moves, um, one of the teams that's been really competitive throughout the course of the last few years, and even making it to a Stanley Cup final, is Nashville, and. Peter Laviolette is also out there. Um, this is a team that's been pretty disappointing, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and, a, and a lot of that comes down to uh, right now, P.K. Ryan is not, hasn't been their best goalie on their team. Um, and that's saying something because he was flirting for a little bit with Jonathan Quick territory. Mm-hmm. Um, not to that elite level, but he, you know, he was just stuffing teams. Um, you know, some of their players are starting to get near the end of their trail. But yeah, you know, Nashville is just one of those teams that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and they're, they're definitely in the thick of things. You know, I'm they're my dark horse to make a run here. Um, you know, sometimes you just, you're looking for one move to, uh, really spark your team and make that push and you know and maybe in this case it's not necessarily trading for a big name or um you know moving picks and you know that was that was the deal they wanted to get done move him fresh start for someone and uh spark your team and and they do tend to be pretty aggressive when it comes down to trade deadline they've been one of those teams that they're they're willing to make some bold decisions sure. in terms of making trades we saw previously with the pk suban and uh trade so, what do you think in terms of Nashville's hopes? Do you do you think that they're candidates to sneak in there, Derek? They're in a good spot. Uh, obviously, they they have a plus goal differential. The only team not in a playoff uh, position beside them and Philly are the only two that aren't in a playoff position that have positive goal differentials. Usually, a good indicator of of you know taking care of both ends. A really deep loaded team, an old team, kind of a veteran team as far as a group of players that. They formed, they got together, and, and they've really left, besides you know those trade deadline, deadline acquisitions, the core has been together a while. It kind of aged together. Uh, Ryan Ellis has been linked to trade rumors for probably a third of his career, maybe half of his career. They haven't moved him yet. Um, they have a lot of defensive depth. And as far as a 1-2 combo, when, when, when Rene's playing well, probably the best 1-2 combo in the league with Juice in there. Um, but even if Rene... If the, if he doesn't play for a while, Juice is, is still a very capable uh, backup goaltender. I think long term there they, they're a team that's really in a good position. You know, even despite being second to last in the division right now, uh, that could make a deep run. Especially again, I don't believe I don't buy Dallas long term. Uh, they could be a team that that sneaks into a wild card space with, with everything that's going on in the Pacific and, and all those teams. Uh, again, even playing field all with fifty seven points, some of those guys might slide as well. Especially you, Calgary. Yeah. Especially you. Especially. So moving over to the Eastern Conference, there's another team in a similar situation um, with Toronto firing yep. uh, Mike Babcock. Yep. Now, Babcock has a history of being in the NHL. He's yep. real popular name. He's been around the block a few times um, with several different teams, yeah, and, he's, he, and he's been pretty so successful. He inherited that, that Red Wings team, and then now we're thinking, hmm, 
how much of that was him or just having, you know, if I hand you the keys of the Porsche, guess what? You have a nice fucking car. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, how much of it was really because of him or what he inherited? Uh, and also, I mean, Detroit, they, they had a history of taking veterans at the end of their career. Let, you know, you, you played your last two years in Detroit and they pieced together with experience a, a 23 year, year playoff run. How much of that is because of him? In hindsight, it's not looking like it's a lot. And a lot of his former players are coming out and, and saying some pretty uh, disparaging things about him, about his character, how he treats people, uh, a lot of stories about how poorly he treated support staff. And it's like, why are you picking on a guy making $13 an hour, uh, you know, trying to make sure the facility is nice for you? Yeah. Like, just leave that guy alone. Like, what, what are you doing? Don't be a dickhead. Uh, a lot of former players come out and, and bashing him now. That's a guy that might not be in hockey for a couple of years. Um, you talk about some of these other coaches who, who might jump right back in it. I imagine Peters... If you, that's one of those things where if you show contrition, you, you take a little time away from the game, you kind of work your way back in. Maybe you work in. He might be another guy that's on the outside for a while. Uh, Laviolette is going to be in a, a, a team in, in a coach's bench any day now. Um, as, as far as you know, the shuffle and, and the off season, somebody else is going to get fired in the rest of the season. That's just the way it goes. Um, and, and the same thing with Gallant. And hopefully Seattle does a smart thing, but who knows? But I, I can see Babcock be away for a little bit. Yeah, um, that was that was a great move uh, by Toronto. Um, that is a very stacked team, and they're still young. They're kind of flirting with like the prime of their years as a team as a whole. Um, and you know when they when they moved him, they were they were I think they were damn near the bottom of the division. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you see they're they're climbing back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good good move for Toronto. They had to do it at that time. I think you know too much had gone on as far as stars and, and issues with. You gotta treat your stars to a certain degree. You know, it's hockey, and it's it's a lesser degree than the other leagues. Your stars are still your stars; they're still drive the ship. I yeah. mean, you gotta, you can't, don't be a dickhead. So let's let's uh let's move on for a second and talk about the probably one of the bigger shit shows of the NHL this year: the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, they fired um, John Hines. Yep, and then what? A few weeks later, they fire their GM. Yeah. So th- this is an organization that's not happy with the way they're moving. They traded Taylor Hall, yep. who's one, who's an MVP a couple years ago. Um, so yeah, N- New Jersey's clearly not moving in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about these moves? I mean, New Jersey's kind of always been a shit show. Uh, it's just they had the benefit of being, having Martin Brodeur, uh, which can mask pretty much anything. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, under the Steinbrenner <laughs> ownership, they, they put together some, some pretty good teams and had some pretty good yeah. runs. Uh, and, you know, there were some some good players around oh, yeah. Brodeur during I mean, that they, time period. They tried to give Ilya Kovalchuk an uh, 11-year contract, which was pretty much to me, like, you can draw a line. That was the start of the end yeah. as far as making a decision. Somehow they, they fleeced Edmonton and got Taylor Hall for nothing. And that still wasn't enough for them to, to put it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're right now they're in the bottom of, of their division and minus forty seven goal differential. If that sounds terrible, it is. But Detroit's even worse with eighty eight. Uh, just to give you kind of a point of reference here, but that but forty seven is the second worst. Mm-hmm. They're, they they're in a really good metropolitan division, and you just look at the, what's at the top of that division. Islanders built their team the right way. They're rock solid. Mm-hmm. Not going anywhere for a while. Pittsburgh, and they have a really good coach. Right. As long as Pittsburgh it has is Crosby and Malkin, that's probably good enough to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Capitals are just running away with the division for you know a few years in a row, it seems. There's just not room for them. Where do they go? Do you just you know embrace the tank? Do you do you take on more, try to draft early in the lottery over and over again, try to be the Edmonton Oilers where you you know you get four uh, first overall picks out of like six years? They're in a they're in a tough spot. They had a clean house. Why wait till the end of the season? Yeah, fair enough. 
All right. So, um, you know, talking about the Caps, um, you know, we're obviously flirting with Hall of Fame times. Um, a veteran's got to be a clear-cut first ballot, correct? Yeah. There's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, unanimous, you know, Hall of Fame isn't as big of a deal in hockey, and we'll touch on unanimous uh, Hall of Fame votes soon. But undoubtedly, in my book, um, it's hard to, to really draw a line between him and, and Mike Bossy as far as being the best goal scorers in the history of the game. A ridiculous shot, the heaviest shot, and, and he's so good in a modern era era where scouting is what it is, tape, video coaches, every team has a video coach, team defense, team defense concepts, especially in special teams. Everybody in the building knows exactly where Alexander Ovechkin is going to take his shots from on those power plays, and it does not matter. Yeah, It doesn't matter. He's launching an absolute rocket just under the bar at between 85 and 95 miles an hour. Yeah, so Ovechkin he does just, not get cheated. just this past week or so, he... Um, he, he secured another hat trick, which yep. I think moves him into tie for one of the tops there, um, and passed the great Mario Lemieux, yep. Super Mario. Um, the real goat? Yeah, so <laughs> definitely not. But we're, so, I mean, there's been some conversation. I heard, you know, a few years back that Yammer Yager had, the NHL not had the lockout, and he hadn't gone and played in the KHL for a few years. He could have, if he had maintained his pace, gotten to the point where he would have been touching that Gretzky goal mark. Um, Ovechkin is killing it right now. Yeah. Do you think that there's any chance that he could actually get there? I 100% think he can get there. As far as what the average he needs, it's it's not very many goals uh, left. And you look at how old, long guys are playing, he doesn't show any signs of, of slowing down or aging, minus you know the awesome gray hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely, if I had to put money on it, I think he gets there. He's a big guy, strong guy, just like Yager, able to play deep in his career. Because he's still really fast. Still really fast. He's solid 230. Uh, I like him to get there, and I need him to get there. Like you don't understand how bad I want him to get there, just to take something away from from Wayne Gretzky. Uh, I probably don't have a ton of you know people listening to this for hockey content, so I can probably get away with saying this until people dig back in this a few years later. But Wayne Gretzky, there's this there's this phenomenon I think when it comes to the kind of the public opinion, and I, I paint Jerry Rice the same way. Is Jerry Rice the best receiver of all time? Yes. Is Wayne Gretzky the best hockey player of all time? I think so. Probably. Mary Lemieux is really close. Is it an undeniable truth in such a huge gap that you can't debate it? Get the fuck out of here. I hate that shit. Like, Wayne Gretzky played in systems that were beneficial to him. In With a, time, a lot of stars. In a time always, where goalies didn't yeah. play defense. They were standing up. The butterfly wasn't even a thing. And if you go back and watch his goals, and the biggest reason, he assists an, an amazing playmaker. The pads he, were small. He has the points. He should have the points. You know, He'd still be the leading scorer in the NHL history if he never scored a goal. Great. Perfect. Still best player of all time. As far as his prowess as a goal scorer, go back and watch the film and watch how many of his shots left the ice. I think he even admits that he he doesn't think he's a, he was the best goal scorer. At all. You know, he he did a lot of other things, and you know, if Bossy's knees held up, he probably would have had this record, and maybe an unattainable record. Um, Is Mike Bossy one of the most underrated hockey players of all time? Yeah, oh yeah, he's definitely on the list of most underrated because his prime was so good. I, I don't mean, think people realize they were so dominant. I they were so oh, dominant. Yeah, the Islanders, yeah. absolutely. The, back in the Fort Never Lose days. Yeah. Um, if his knees hold up, he's he's up there, like 100. Like he's he's probably the top, if not, he's definitely top three. Mm-hmm. Um, Yarmy Yager, 
one of the you know the best players ever. Mar- Mary Lemieux is probably in that conversation of best ever. Um, and when you add in his physical attributes, if he played you know the whole time that Gretzky played, who knows? Um, I need Ovechkin to be the, the highest goal scorer of all time. <laughs> I hate the Caps, and I'm rooting for him. You know, Ovechkin's going to be kind of like my um, my my Ed Reed, Ray Lewis. Like, God, man, I hate you, but, like, man, I wish you were on my team. My Peyton Manning. Uh, yeah, you're Peyton. Yeah. Do, do you think that Ovechkin will be a unanimous Hall of Fame inductee on the first ballot? I mean, why not? Yeah. I, I think he, I think he probably gets there. He's, yeah. he's super likable. I don't think he's tarnished any, any he, other he teams. He had kind of a reputation, he had a reputation earlier in his career for being a dirty player. Um, some of it was warranted. He, he kind of flirted with the line there. But I think a lot of it had the fact with one superstars aren't supposed to hit like that mm-hmm. and two people forget he's 230 fucking five pounds of like rock like he is a thick boy and mm-hmm. he throws that hip in there straight russian yeah, yeah just just straight from siberia chugging fucking vodka wrestling bears like it's i love everything about about ovi so uh i'm a lightning fan and a few years ago the caps were playing against the lightning yeah. before they went on to win the cup and Vetchkin got to do all those celebrations yeah. and fun stuff but before that while watching the games against the lightning um one of my buddies pointed out to me he's like when, when ovechkin's on the ice don't even watch the puck just watch ovechkin yeah he's so entertained to watch all the stuff that he does driven to win like he basically was like listen i'm putting you on my back and i'm carrying you to the final i don't care and he finally what else broke happens. that stigma they had against a- him absolutely yeah. i mean they hadn't won a playoff series for a few years there so yeah there's all that but moving from one guy who's a hall of famer to the the other hall of famers that we have here this week um Derek Jeter fell one vote shy of being a unanimous first time, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, people made a huge deal about it. Yeah. Um, one, does it matter? Two, should he have been uh, unanimous? And uh, three, where do you think that Derek Jeter ranks in terms of Hall of Famers and uh, Hall of Fame shortstops? I don't. I don't even necessarily think he's the best shortstop to play the game. Um, he, clearly, he. He was fantastic. Um, he was amazing to watch, and he came in clutch for them in big moments. But you know, things you got to remember about the the titles, and you know, it's not it's not like he was batting three fifty. Uh, he played sound defense, but you know, those those rosters were just stacked. Um, he he was he was a, above average is a slight because uh, he was great, but uh, I. I, I wouldn't have been upset if he had two less votes. Uh, I, th- I thought it was well-warranted. Um, um, yeah, but you know, he, he's in there, so truthfully it doesn't matter. Everyone's just nitpicking at that point. You know, They should have they taken a couple of the votes that went his way and sent them to a few other well-deserving players. Yeah, I... So baseball, this whole thing about unanimous MVPs, obviously... Unanimous... Or, uh, or, or sorry, Hall of Fame. Yeah. Obviously it started... Because the initial issue that there was 50-plus years of baseball history when they started the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. So you had guys so spread out. I'm sure some voters thought, okay, well, let's do this in chronological order. We'll go all the way back to the beginning as far as what players should get in. And that displaced some votes from guys who who should have been unanimous, like yeah. Babe Ruth. So, so the first the first selection uh, consisted of Cobb and Ruth. Um, Walter and Johnson. Cobb, Cobb actually got the most votes out of any player. Yep. Not Babe Ruth, who yep. uh, many consider to be the greatest baseball player of all time. Yep. But 
uh, sports writers at the time thought it was uh, Cobb. And, I mean, he has a really good candidacy and a good case for that. Sure. Um, if you look at Derek Jeter on a terms of an all-time list, he is 12th among shortstops in career war. Yep. Most of that is due to the fact that he gives away so many of those potential points for war on his defense. He right. was really bad defensively for most of his career. Yep. Um, in fact, when Derek Jeter... Uh, People like to say that he, you know, all he cared about was winning. He was the best teammate of all time, and all he wanted to do was win, 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 right? Well, if Derek Jeter really wanted to win, he would have moved his ass to second or third base and let A-Rod take shortstop when A-Rod was the better player at that point in time. A-Rod had won multiple gold gloves just before that and was was clearly the best player in baseball at the time. You move your ass over if you really care about just winning. But what did he do? No. He said, I'm playing shortstop, and... A-Rod was gracious enough to move to third base, and, you know, their careers went in two different paths from that point forward, but at that point in time, you could say, hey, maybe they would have won even more World Series if A-Rod would have moved over. Now, now you can't knock Jeter. He does have the, the um, and you can fact check this, he has the record for most gift baskets after a one-night stand. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that, and just so we are clear, we are Eskimo Brothers. so he says anyway so just looking at jeter's resume for a quick second he was rookie of the year in 96 they won the world series that year um he has uh you know several times he's been an all-star he i don't think he won yeah he didn't ever win an mvp nope and he won three maybe four gold gloves something like that i think it's five actually yeah but again gold glove is not a science right and also at that point in time they weren't doing much in terms of defensive metrics to incorporate who was gold glove so often the best hitters would get gold glove rafael pomero won a gold glove that guy never should have been given a gold glove absolutely not so yeah gold gloves back in the days weren't weren't as you know, nowadays they actually incorporate some defensive metrics yep. into the players, uh, so it's a little better, but it's not perfect either. Um, and defensive metrics are kind of hard to measure from a small sample basis yeah. of only a season. There's so many, so few balls put in play at a, at a lot of these guys, and they don't get a lot of opportunities. And and the, the thing too is in a, one of the deceptive things about some of those fielding metrics, especially fielding percentage, is. It can punish a guy who has the range to cleanly get to a ball that Derek Jeter would have never got to. Yeah. And that doesn't become a fielding Right, statistic. and he might not be able to make a, a throw or a great right. throw or throws the ball away or something of that nature. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not an exact science. It's how you know, some guys get gold gloves that don't deserve them. And to your point, mm-hmm. there was, there's definitely a popularity element until recently. Yeah. Um, Derek Jeter was, you know, the captain, the the shortstop for a team that won. I think he won five World Series yep. during his stretch. So, and his playoff heroics, you know, all that. And I get, yeah, I get that, the popularity. That, that, uh, that absolutely helps. Um, there's people that say, like, he, you know, play up, he has a much bigger scope than just, you know, he, he influenced baseball fans, right? Yeah. So, so there's a lot of people that really respect Derek Jeter. Um, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. Mike, I think it's no question. First ballot, I'm um, fine with too. And I'm fine with first ballot, absolutely. At the end of the day, uh, would I, if I had a vote, I probably would have voted for him just because he's, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. But, the, but also, then if you look at it, does it really matter if a guy is unanimous or not? I don't think it does. I don't think it, um, it, it benefits him all. It doesn't go on the plaque. Your voting percentage doesn't show up on your plaque. Or, yeah. or, you know, it doesn't matter. The people that want it so bad, it's you look at it, there's been one unanimous Hall of Fame 
vote ever. And he was the best player at his and position. He was arguably the best. No, there's not even arguably. He was the best closer in the history of the game. Which Derek Jeter was not the best player at his position. No, you look, the horse of time. Just look at the, look at the I, other. Like I said, he's 12th all time in terms of war for for shortstops. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah. A-Rod, I mean, he wasn't even the best shortstop on his team for half his career. Right. A-Rod overlapped with him nine years and was a better shortstop the entire time. You look at, I don't know about the entire time. I think towards the end, A-Rod got a little bit... I mean, Jeter was terrible at the end, too. I think A-Rod got a little big. He wouldn't have been able to play sure. shortstop. That's fair. Um, so but then I how think much if, of that is he grew into his position like Cal Ripken did? Sure, yeah. He absolutely did do that. I, Cal Ripken still could have played shortstop. He probably can still play shortstop today. Yeah. Um, One before, of the better shortstops, by the way, since we're on it. Cal Ripken, better shortstop. So yeah. Ernie Banks, better shortstop. And fun thing about Ernie Banks is he didn't even get to ninety percent of the vote. Yeah, he was at like eighty, I think eighty nine and change with five hundred home runs, two MVP votes. Yeah, I think the outrage is overblown, and I think it's, it's fair. I think it's fair to say that. Yeah. Um. Now, he, in terms of J- Jeter, he does have thirty four hundred and sixty five hits. I think it puts him in the top ten or something of all time, which is a great an outstanding longevity accomplishment. Is is an amazing accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But to me, I don't think longevity should play a factor into Hall of Fame candidacy. And you look at a, a you know a similar player like Frank Gore. This, because Frank Gore hung around long enough to be up in the top of, right. of the rushing chart, he gets in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it, it's a tool, and mm-hmm. obviously it's commendable. But I would rather see Hall of Fame careers compared over a period of time that's uh, meaningful in that yeah. game. Let's so say, so baseball, even call, if you call it an eight-year peak, mm-hmm. let's take so, an average across so, their best So you years. need to start reading some uh, Jay Jaffe, who does Jaws, which measures yeah. seven-year peak, yep. career peak. And in football, like, et cetera. Five, like four or five um, years. I'm fine with that kind of a peak. But ju- just some quick uh, some quick other things on Jeter. He, he, was, uh, he led the league in hits twice. He never won a batting title, never won on base title, never obviously slugging title, didn't ever steal like the most bases in the league. Yep. So he doesn't have a lot of bold ink, as you would call it, on his resume. If you look at the course of his career, he did lead the league in plate appearances and at bats a few times. Um, well, when you hit the top of the order of a really good lineup, you'll have that. Yeah. Um, let's mo- move on to the other Hall of Fame yeah. inductee for this year, uh, Larry Walker. Yep. I think he's well-deserving. He gets in on his 10th ballot. Um, he had some some questions with the Coors effect, right? I think the Coors effect is is completely blown out of proportion. Uh, you play half your games there, which means you play the other half of your games somewhere else. So you can't discount the entire uh, body of a career because half of the games are played in somewhere that has slightly better ball mechanics, especially when you start looking at players in the current era where all the balls are allegedly juiced. How do you factor anybody who plays in this era with juiced balls versus guys who played in Coors Field? And there are some you know, some statistics out there as far as different advanced schools of thought, different uh, formulas that can take a player's career and what they put up from a from a statistic standpoint and level it if they were to be in a neutral stadium. Yeah. So Larry Walker loses thirteen home runs in like four points off his average. Right. And that's about it. That's the only two meaningful stats. Even if you take those numbers, still good enough to be in. And oh, by the way, nine gold gloves. Right. He was a really good defensive <laughs> player. He was a really good base runner, which not which isn't something that they, that people give yeah. a lot of credit to. Um, and so, if you look at just his road splits throughout his entire career, two seventy eight batting average, three seventy on base percentage, and a four ninety five slugging percentage, good for an eight sixty five OPS. That's better than plenty of guys who are already in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. And those are just his road numbers. Right. When you're not as comfortable and it's not obviously the environment that is cores. Yep. I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, 
most a lot of those home runs that are being yanked out, they're still going to be home runs elsewhere. They just travel a little further. Yeah, you're gonna, you know, we just, we just hit uh, four home runs. It was the uh, the different split you said, Derek? Uh, fourteen is what he oh, lost. Yeah, so fourteen. I mean, let's let's be real. It's everyone wants to cry and complain about. And the old the old San Diego Stadium. I know the new one is is not uh, is a pitcher's park. Was the old one a pitcher's park too, where he played? Uh, yeah, it was. So uh, Dodger at, Stadium is a pitcher's park. So he's um, playing a lot of the bulk of his road games in the opposite, mm-hmm. unfriendly places. Like yeah, the core. I think the Coors effect is one of the more overrated things uh, when it comes to sports. Yeah. Now, now for snubs because you know he's he's obviously been snubbed for a while. Um, wh- when does Kurt Schilling get in? So to. So he he rose up to about seventy. I think he's an, an, a flat seventy percent. It's required for seventy five. I'm pretty confident he gets in next year. Um, his his. So the biggest thing about Kurt Schilling is people don't actually question how good he is as a player. Most of the writers they just have a lot of other issues with his off the off the field antics, uh, quote unquote, saying that he was gonna, something about lynching. Um, a another a sports writer. Yeah, so and he, he has he has his some political stances and and the things that he supports politically and, and off the field have con- drawn a lot of question into his moral character. To, what does that have to do about the Hall of Fame? I, I, just, so, I don't understand it, that. So to me, the Hall of Fame is an honor, and it's it's a place that, granted, there are some people who by today's standard have questionable, uh, questionable histories. You know, we talked about one earlier, Ty Cobb. Uh, if Ty Cobb played today. He'd be in jail because the things that were okay when he played just from a, a, you know, there was questions whether or not Ty Cobb actually murdered people. So, right. There were, yeah, there were some, he was, uh, not a big fan of, of other races. Mm -hmm. We'll put it as delicately as possible. He was not from all, by all accounts, a pretty, pretty terrible guy. But back then it was more accepted. Again, you can't look at those that that time period through today's lens. Ca- Looking through today's is lens. actually mentioned in the Hall of yes. Fame, and so sports writers use this as a crutch right. to not have to vote for certain people for I certain issues. Um, but le- so I eventually think Schilling gets in. Do you agree? Eventually, I think he does. Um, so he has two years. I don't. Left. I don't this mind was... that he's paying for this. Some of the stuff they he would mention was you know advocating violence against journalism mm-hmm. uh, or journalists. Probably not a great idea if you need a bunch of sports writers to to vote you into a Hall of Fame. Right. But I think eventually he gets in. So, yeah, Kurt... uh, And deserves to be in on the field. Keep your mouth shut for the next couple years and you'll be in uh, within the, you know, baseball writers. And eventually he would get in anyway. And again, Um, you know, with what's going on with with him, why can't we just draw a line after Pete Rose stopped playing baseball and put him in? And, you know, there's all kinds of other questions. I know we're going to... We'll get right into it as far as, you know, the steroid users how they're trending. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about, particularly let's, let's focus on Clemens and Bonds. What do you think about their, where they're, where they pulled this year? Um, you know, I, I didn't see, um, I didn't see our numbers. Um, so I'm not sure. Right, right around 60% if we're using kind of an average. Okay. Of okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, for me, for me, they're both, they should, they're no brainers to get in. Uh, because, you know, I think we touched on this briefly last week. They were Hall of Fame players before, you know, the steroid use or the alleged steroid use. And I think you said Bonds never tested positive. Not once. Yeah, you know. Neither did Clemens. Right. You know, so Bonds, his home runs may have been inflated. 
Um, but the fact that he was not seeing pitches, they, they wouldn't pitch to the guy. He walked. So I looked this up the other day. I saw somebody put up a, a stat about Derek Jeter. And it was like, oh, he's the only player with, and they cherry pick some stats. Mm-hmm. 300%, uh, 300 average, a two, 350 stolen bases, 3,000 hits. And I'm like looking at stuff. I'm like, man, these look like Barry Bonds numbers for sure. Let me pull this up. So Barry Bonds hit like 298. He didn't have 3,000 hits, which is kind of amazing. Uh, when you look, think, man, Barry Bonds played forever. He, he was great. He didn't have 3,000 so hits. That's exactly what I was going to say. Once you scroll over to, to walks and realize he was walked almost 2,600 times. The most of all time. <laughs> and, and, and intentional walks. He was good for one a game. Bases loaded intentional walks. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, it, it was insane. You talk about changing the game. Talk about fear of a player. Um, he, he was still ripping doubles. Uh, he was still hitting the ball properly with a good average and you know like i said his home runs may have been inflated but that he he had the best hands hand-eye coordination that you know we probably have ever seen yeah so for me clemens and bonds both deserving of being in the hall of fame i don't think that they get there during their writing period they are on the same track as Schilling in terms of this was their eighth year on the ballot so they'll each have two more years but this year they only gained like 1%, and this was one of the least loaded ballots we've seen in years. What does so next year's ballot look like? O- only, only one player was Hall of Fame worthy of the incoming class, and yeah. that's Mr. Derek Jeter. So the, t- the fact that these two guys only gain 1% of the vote is, a, is pretty surprising and kind of damning for their candidacy. They will probably have to wait till a committee for later on in order to get into the Hall of Fame, which they both probably will. So the 2021 class here, we have Dan Heron, Barry Zito, A.J. Burnett, Aramis Ramirez, Shane Victorino, Grady Sizemore, Nick Swisher. Yeah. Nothing there. Right. Um, Zito, I think, might get probably 30% of the vote. He had, we, we talk about guys in the, that peak. Mm-hmm. If you really focus on that peak, Barry Zito, for probably four or five year run, was one of the best players in baseball. Sure, he was he was a really good pitcher, um, but he only won one Cy Young. True. So um, I don't think that anybody in, in like, from that group is a Hall of Fame caliber player. Probably not. But here's the other thing: if only Jeter, like one extra, two extra guys off the ballot, is that going to help their cases? I think the biggest issue is that there's people just not willing to vote for him still, and so I don't think that's going to happen over the course of two years. Two, I don't think that's enough. Um, Let's look at some other guys real quick in yeah. terms of Hall of Fame trends. So Omar Vizquel reached the 50-point threshold, which the only player uh, to not to reach 50% and not get in is Gil Hodges, um, th- though that'll be broken, obviously, with, uh, with you know, the, the steroid boys. Sure. But Vizquel is only in year three, okay? He's at over 52%. Um, is he a Hall of Famer to you? He is either going to be one of the worst Hall of Famers or one of the best players on the outside. Uh, to me, he's right on that line. You look at a comparable guy, a guy that played great defense, got a you know, really defensive specialist, somebody like Ozzy. Um, but Ozzy is a, such a better hitter. Than, that's than the thing. Omar that's what I was saying. He's probably history. still yeah. a better fielder, right on par, but a much much better hitter. Um, I don't. To me, this is a really interesting case uh, as far as players who kind of played a specialty role. Uh, there's really not anybody else like him. If you really think about it, what other kind of player got up by that long only playing defense? It'll never happen again. Uh, they, they should have invented like the opposite DH form where he only <laughs> designated fielder. Yeah, the designated yeah. fielder position. Yeah. So moving to another guy that's a super heavy defense, Scott Rowland, uh, 
he picked up some 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 good games, and I think he has a good chance yeah, to he, get in. He almost doubled. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, like he's up to 30. Yeah, and he's only in year three. Yeah, yeah he's at 35%, so he needs about 40 more, and he's got seven years to get there. I so think, another I think, guy, like you said, great defense, Yeah, but way better bat as far as what we're talking about yeah. here. Um, and another guy who had a really good peak, really strong peak, mm-hmm. some high finishes and MVP voting. Won a World Series. Won a World Series. Um, and he was, you know, key, a key leader. Tony La Russa gives him a lot of credit for his leadership skills, even though they had issues of their own. Yeah, I mean, if leadership um, almost made Jeter unanimous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Scott Rowland, to me, is a guy who certainly deserves to be in. Sure. Um, Billy Wagner made some gains. He's pushing towards he has a chance. He's in year five. He's up to thirty one percent of the vote. So this one, this one, I'm a, I'm a little biased on. So I grew up playing baseball. I'm left handed. I had two guys growing up: Randy Johnson, Billy Wagner. Those were my guys. Um, Billy Wagner. You talk about some of the statistics on him of players who've th- pitched nine hundred innings. This is a pretty good threshold. This guy who actually you know played, especially out of the bullpen. That's that's a long time. Mm-hmm. He leads in like three or four different categories. I think Caper Nine he leads. He leads in whip. He leads a few categories. I think his Caper Nine is around a little over 13. His whip is .98. He gave up less than one hit or walk per inning over his career. <laughs> Best all time. Unfathomable. Like, how, how is he not in? Yeah, so for, for me, I think, I think it's a guy who's just he being penalized for being a reliever. Yeah. Which relievers are criminally penalized. Uh, going back to Roland, like, for a second, he's in a position that's criminally underrepresented in yep. the Hall of Fame. Relievers even more so. Yeah. Even, there's only, like, five or six, half a dozen guys, you something can name like most that. most of them. Right. Eckersley, Jenkins. Gossage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Mick Rivera, et cetera. Yeah. So, so those are some of the guys that are actually in. Hoffman. But, right. Um, but, at, but at one point in time, all those guys were like, hey, like, most of those guys were like, he was the all-time leader in saves at one point in time in his career. Wagner was never never at that point, and I think that's where he gets dinged a little bit. But um, should guys get dinged for not being the all-time leader in saves when they play the same time as the only player in the history of baseball to be voted and unanimously played? Right, yeah. So the guy, maybe the greatest ever in his position, he happened to square up against him in terms of competing for those saves. Yeah, yeah. I think Billy Wagner, I mean, Caper 9 and Whip alone, again, I know those are some advanced stats that some people don't necessarily prescribe to, but... He was when he was at his peak, and again we go back to talking about a player's peak versus longevity. No, who was better than him at his peak as well, far as left-handed reliever? I mean, it's it's amazing. Well, your writers are definitely going to know those stats. Hopefully, um, what about John Rocker? He he, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he, he was fun to watch. I'm not uh, sure that he got the requisite uh, 10 years in the Major League Baseball know, uh, in order to do it, and he would have been immediately blackballed because a little of bit of his, a great uh, a yeah. black mark for the uh, the, the, the moral character, character clause definitely yeah. going to come in play with with that guy. But he was fun to watch. Damn shame. <laughs> um, <laughs> so who else? Who else do you have there as far as guys? Quick, who... Quickly, here's some other guys sure. just that are interesting. Sheffield is at six years with 30.5. Um, he's a guy who's connected to some steroid yeah, issues I don't think he's that are been, questionable. Yeah. Um, at one point in time, he was one of the more feared hitters in baseball. He did have the longevity aspect of things. Yep. So his case will be interesting to watch. Um, 
Mirror Mirrors, I think, because of the positive tests, actual tests that were positive, is not going to get in. Yep. Um, Todd Helton is year two. He's at 29%. He has a good chance to get in, and he's a guy who really deserves some candidacy for votes. Yeah, let's ignore um, the course effect again. That guy was an amazing hitter. Mm-hmm. Amazing hitter. And played really good defense. Mm-hmm. Granted, not a premium position. I know first base is in a premium position. Um, but as far as a guy who just... When you talk about leadership, too, it checks all the boxes for me. Right. Sammy Sosa's in year eight, uh, and no he's chance. only at 13.9%. He's not going to get in. Jeff Kent's at 27.5, year seven. I don't think it's real likely for him. Can you imagine if Jeff Kent gets in and Barry Bonds doesn't, knowing the huh. whole f- the history between those two? Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I want that just but, as, for like uh, somebody who loves chaos. I would love that. Do you that. think Jeff Kent would help Barry put the jacket on? <laughs> Whoever is sending one vote, to the, to the way of these players. J.J. Putts? They had J.J. Putts. They need to be relieved of their duties. Yeah, so J.J. Putts is not a guy. If, if Will, Billy Wagner's not a Hall of Famer, the J.J. Putts is not, should not even be in the conversation to me. Um, Bobby Abreu came in with 5.5%, just enough to stay on the ballot uh, for for some for future years. He's a guy whose candidacy will be looked at more and is an interesting case for the Hall of Fame. Um, to me, Andy Pettit is not a Hall of Famer, even though he's trending at 11%. And Andrew Jones, in his third year, um, at 19.4%, he's a guy who, if we're going to look at Omar Vizquel and be like, that's a Hall of Famer, Andrew Jones was one of the most dominant, best defensive center fielders I've ever seen in my entire life. And he was really good for like 10 years. And then he dropped off a cliff as soon as he signed the big contract and turned 30. He revolutionized the position. He he was known for that historic, super short center field because he can make up the ground. And and think about the pitchers that benefited from him. Three of them are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox, they all played with him. And they got the benefit of this guy being their center fielder. And yet we're not going to credit him for, for putting up those performances. Um, so yeah, I think Andrew Jones is a guy that, that needs to get more traction, um, and hopefully he will. Uh, just a couple quick notes on some other guys who received one vote. Adam Dunn, he's a good player, not a Hall of Famer. Brad Penny, a way worse player, not a Hall of Famer. And Raul Banez, really long career, not a, never a Hall of Famer. So, but to me, the by far the worst candidate on that list, J.J. Putz. What the hell are you guys thinking? I wonder if it's just like, hey, I want to throw this guy a vote so he can just be like, yeah, I, I had one Hall of Fame vote. Maybe he <laughs> really liked him. Yeah. Beat, I, I always blame the local beat writer on that one. Yeah, It's yeah. got to be that guy, right? But but what's his local beat? You know, he, he played for a, various teams. Sure. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Who, an impression on somebody. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know who gave him that vote or, or why they gave him that vote. But, yeah. Sure enough, J.J. Plutz, you're not a Hall of Famer and you'll fall off the ballot. But, hey, you got to vote. <sighs> Uh, so I think that about wraps it up. Yes, really appreciate you guys hanging with us. Obviously, uh, we'll get back into the swing of things when it comes to Super Bowl next week. Kind of enjoying this this in between week to hit uh, double click on on some things that are outside of the realm of football. Obviously, you know football is is driving uh, the beginning of this pod's history as far as the first. You know we're into week twenty one now. Uh, we'll be transitioning into other sports. You know hockey. We can start talking about. Um, some the, the different Hall of Fames, different candidacies, you know, get really granular and, and probably do a good amount of research and, and really go into detail on, on one specific topic and then a, a little bit of topical other things. So you might see some, some ranking lists. We might go through and rank all our shortstops or rank different positions uh, in, in the different you know, major sports. And who knows, maybe we'll pepper in some, some, uh, some soccer or football talk. Yeah, but next, next week expect a, a full breakdown on everything that is the you'll Super get, Bowl. You'll get a good example 
example of, of what I'm talking about when I say, you know, really diving in and researching something, you're going to get more Super Bowl covers than you want. Yeah, so uh, be sure to listen up next week and enjoy this week's pod and go out there. If you're going to be partying in Gasparilla, try to find us and uh, have a good time. Appreciate you guys.